Hello everyone, welcome back to the Green and Mullen Show podcast here on Newcastle Fans TV. Myself and Sam have spoken to another NDE. This is our second one, Samuel. I know. Very, done very well, haven't we? Yeah. Um, Stephen Miller, MBE, Paralympic legend. And a proper legend as well as I go into on the podcast. Legend is a word that's banded around a lot and sometimes loses the heft of its meaning. But um, a really inspirational kind of 45 minutes, 50 minutes, I, th- I think. Really, really lovely guy and um, with a huge will to win. Very much so. His determination um, throughout his career, his first Olympics was in 96. He's competing, obviously, it was the 2020, but obviously because of coronavirus, the 2021 Olympics now in Tokyo. So Atlanta 96. Sydney 2000. Sydney 2000. Athens 2004. Beijing, Beijing 2008. London 2012. Rio 2016. So this will be his seventh Olymp- Paralympic Games. Seven. That's absolutely incredible. And that, that you talk about the determination in your interview, Sam, but the consistency at the top. You know, we talk about, obviously, you look at the, like, in terms of football, you're Manchester United of this world, and, you know, in, in terms of, like, English, like, Premier League teams, but in what he's doing in his field, it's absolutely tremendous. Unreal. To keep having that drive and determination for so long. Like, these Olympics are four years apart, well, five years apart for this one, obviously. Um, for obvious reasons, but four years apart to, to maintain. And and he's only failed to medal at one, and that's because he needed a freaking hip replacement. That, that's, that's unbelievable. So, yeah, an absolute sporting legend. And um, if you've not, like, if you're not aware of his, his, his career or you're not aware of him, and, and let's not forget, he also supports Newcastle United, so he's one of our own. This is this is why we have these people on to to kind of help bring them a new audience and whatnot because they deserve it and they're they're unbelievable people. They very much are, and this the, the club throw is his domain. It is his baby in terms of the records. Like the youngest Paralympian, Great Britain's youngest Paralympian to win gold in 1996 at 16, um, won bronze and in Sydney, um, in training for the 2008 Olympics, got his world record um, throw 34.93 metres in 2008. So the consistency, even in 12 years, is absolutely incredible. Men's captain of the Paralympic Team GB in 2012, MBEs, the freedom of Cramlington, the list goes on, Sam. And he talks about his beloved Newcastle United and... Um, it's a quite refreshing opinion on the club. Yeah, um, kind of an opinion that I sometimes wish I have sometimes in the fact that just focus on what goes on on the pitch, don't worry about the other stuff. Um, but yeah, he, he he knows a lot of, he's got a fantastic relationship with um, our former, icon, well, current, they're still icons and legends of Newcastle United, but he's, he, he's, he, he knows a lot of good people. And um if you're watching this on, if, if you're obviously you're listening to the podcast now, but if you do want to hop over to the YouTube and watch the YouTube, wow, I sounded about 80 years old then. If you want to hop over to YouTube and see the video interview, he does flash the medal. He does flash the gold, which um, is, a, is, a, is a prestigious honour, I feel, for this for this little little show. 
Oh, it's an incredible honour, an incredible honour. Uh, a gold medal on a green with a Milner show. We're very, very lucky, very, very lucky to see something like that. But uh, a big thanks to our sponsors, Beer52. Beer52.com is the place for the Euros to get your beer. You get to watch all the England matches. Make sure you've got Beer52 cans near you by your side as you celebrate England beating the likes of Scotland, Czech Republic. And, of course, Croatia on the 13th of June, which you would have already seen. So maybe get ready, get ready for the Scotland game on the 18th. Um, mm. But, Sam, uh, just to finish off... Um, just to finish off, um, if you if you do go over to beer52.com forward slash NFTV and get the introductory eight can case, if you do it within the next, I think it's by the end of June, you do get the, a 10 can case instead of an eight. Um, you get the two extra for, for free. So just just think on, bear that in mind. Over 70,000, uh, 75,000 members they've got now. But yeah, sorry, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say that the Green and Milner show is not a million miles away from 50 episodes. And we're not going to give names away in terms of what's coming up on the channel, but we've got a couple of guests lined up to get to nearly 50. And then number 50 itself could be quite a big one. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of time for them to pull out yet. So just <laughs> let's, let's just let's just let's just get this to next week first. <laughs> See, this is I'm, I'm trying to be the I'm trying to be the positive, and Sam always has to have a little bit of caution in this. But um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to say these. I've got one more confirmed one at the minute, so we'll leave that one for. So you've got a show socials. next week, hooray! Yeah, definitely got a show next week, but. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Me and Sam have actually been very, very busy in the last week or so because we've both had our jab. Both had our first jab. Sam had yeah. his before me, obviously, for obvious reasons. Because I'm um, cool. That's why. But I think, very briefly, what was your experience like at the jab? Uh, everything went fine. Are you sure? Uh, broadly, um, if you ignore... I mean, right, so leading up to the jab, everything was fine. The jab was fine. And then 10 minutes after the jab, everything was fine. That I, You know, there was a, there was a little 10 minutes where I threw up twice and had, 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 had to be nursed. But um, apart from that, everything fine. Don't know what you're on about. Just leave it out. <laughs> um, Fable that wants to know very briefly, I got in, got the jab, felt like a tiny scratch, and I had a bit of a dead arm, but that's about it. And I got a sticker for being a brave soldier. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I put in the, uh, the text messages I sent the lads when you said that yesterday, um, because I, I don't think it's appropriate, but we'll leave that one for another day. But I'll tell you what I think we should do. I think we should get this podcast underway. And it's episode number 46 of the Grooming and Mullins show here on Newcastle Fans TV. And it's with Stephen Miller, MBE. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Greenwood and Moon, the show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Today, we are joined by a Paralympic legend, a man who has won three gold medals, but more importantly, supports Newcastle United. I think that's a little bit more important than the gold medals and maybe even NBE as well. It is, of course, Stephen Miller, NBE. Stephen, welcome to the Greenwood and Moon, the show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sam, this is an, another NBE. We've, got, we've had two now on the Greenwood and Moon, the show, and... Um, what a pleasure it is to get Stephen on, isn't it, Sam? It, it is. I mean, let, let's not... I mean, the word legend is thrown around a lot. But for those who don't know, and uh, you know, three-time Paralympic champion, three-time world champion, uh, three-time European champion, um, and, you st- and you're still as determined as ever. Uh, Stephen, are you in training for Tokyo still? 
They have just got back from the European Championships, which were held in Poland last week. So, um, yeah, performed pretty well. It's nice to be competing again. So, and then hopefully I can get in the team for Tokyo. Uh, the team selected towards the end of the, end of July. So. I've got a few more weeks to get some good performances in and try and get to my seventh Paralympic. So, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to do that. Stephen, I have to ask because Sam obviously picks up perfectly about the 2020, well, that was going to be in 2021 Olympics in Tokyo. Um, but where's the, where did, where's the motivation come from? Because it's been several Olympics. Like, doing my research, your first one was in 1996. So, where is that continued motivation coming from? Yeah, it's quite unusual to do one sport for that for that long. You know, I've been I've been competing now for this in my twenty five years. I've been competing at the highest level, and um, so yeah, I think for me it's just a love of the sport and the love of what I do, and um, I enjoy the training. I enjoy just trying to get better every day and and yeah, you know, I, I get paid for a stick as far as I can and I can think of I can think of a lot of worse things to do than that. So yeah, why not? Why not keep doing it as long as you can? It is it is the longevity of, of your career, Stephen, that just staggers me. Like you say, your first Olympics was at uh, Atlanta. 1996 when i was six or seven years old you've got you've 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 gone through two two kevin keegan eras a whole alan shearer <laughs> newcastle career you've gone through the whole of a mike ashley era what 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 gives you the determination after so long to to keep going and to keep competing i think i'm just really really stubborn you know <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife says, anyway. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, no, I think I've got really good ability to just focus on one thing at a time, not get too carried away when things are going well, and not get too down when when I'm going through tough times. So I think that's one thing that's really helped me, and also just. Trying to enjoy what I do, focus on that enjoyment, and not get too obsessed about winning and losing. You know, because yeah, everyone likes to win and be the best, but you're not always gonna win. So then, yeah, you can you can do it for a long time if you can if you can stay healthy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was just gonna say, Stephen, when you were growing up as a, a young man. And you wanted to get into this, into the sport, into the, get into the Olympic Games, and become serious at what you do. Who were your role models growing up? Who were the people that you looked up to? Well, number one was my parents. I mean, they were unbelievable people, and really inspired me. And a lot of my, a lot of my positive mindset is down to how they brought me up, how they raised me. Um, so yeah. I really um, look up to them. Um, my other role models, my first coach 
when I was young was a pal in the Grand Prix. Um, and yeah, he was somebody that was a big role model for me. And he, he really told me that important to enjoying what you do and not, not taking it too seriously. Um, so yeah, he was a big influence on me. Um, and then away from that, I think one thing that really inspired me as a young person, one moment I can remember was watching Limpack Christie win, win the 100 meters in Barcelona. And I was only about 12 when that happened. And it really, yeah, I thought, wow, that's incredible to, to be able to do that and win a gold medal for your coach. For your country, I thought, yeah, it would be, be amazing to do that. So, yeah, that was a big moment that inspired me. And of course, when I think about Newcastle United, which has been a massive part of my life, Kevin Keegan, you know, I mean, he wrote the forward in my autobiography. And I've known Kevin since I was five years old. Um, and yeah, watching him play and then watching what he did when he came back as a manager. And he, he's just such a, a nice guy, a really good guy. And that's, that's what really um, I remember the most about, about Kevin. Uh, you mentioned Kevin there. Obviously, he's a hugely inspirational figure. I mean, me and Johnny have never met him, never spoke to him. That's obviously a dream of ours, but he, he's inspiring, like, just watching back in the day. And he was the reason I started supporting Newcastle United for the, for the entertainers team back when you were winning gold at, in Atlanta. But um, has he ever give you a, um, a a kind of Kevin keegan style team talk before a big tournament before, just to give you a kick up the backside? <laughs> yeah, it's a funny story. I went down to the training ground at... Um... When they trained at um, in Durham, um, just before my first Paralympics in '96, and then um, went down and seen Kevin and said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to the Paralympics." And he was like, "Yeah, well, just sport as far as you can." And that was his <laughs> advice, so pretty good advice. So yeah, no, Kevin. With somebody who, yeah, he could he could light up a room. He could make you feel relaxed, make you laugh. You know how to. He's got a great sense of humor. I think that's why it was such a success in the castle because he, he created that that atmosphere where you could have a laugh, have a bit of fun, and made everybody relaxed and. And yeah, it was great to be a part of that. I just think I think that's fantastic that he just just tells you, Stephen, just throw it really far. I just think that's so basic, but it works. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, keep it simple, definitely. Definitely. When you took when obviously the club throw is really what you've been made famous for. Of course, you've done discus as well. But what is the biggest technique for someone that has to just throw it so far? I know we've talked about how simple it is and how. You know, Kevin Keegan's trying to simplify it, but what for you, Stephen, is the biggest technique to make sure that you get the distance in the throw? Well, it's quite funny because the, the way I throw it is pretty unusual. Um, I throw it backwards, and that 
it wasn't always the way I do. I mean, when I was younger, I tried to throw forward. Like, most people throw the club forward, like a javelin, or sideways, like a desk. So, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't really do that. So, um, but yeah, it was my first course to help me to discover the technique of throwing backwards, which, um, when I first started doing it, it was a bit scary because, yeah, when you throw backwards, you, you can't see where it's going to land. Uh, you don't particularly know where it's going to go. So you need to have a lot of trust. I think the key thing for me was developing that ability to release the club at the right time. Because, yeah, when you throw them backwards, you're just aiming for a point in space because you can't particularly look where you're going to throw. So you had to, had to do a lot of practice, a lot of repetition, just getting used to re releasing the club at the right time and getting it to go in the right direction. And so once I got that, then the rest kind of came naturally. Um, but yeah, the release is probably the most important thing. Yeah, it may be unorthodox, but you've certainly mastered it, uh, winning what you've uh, winning what you've won. I don't think you've done too bad out of it. Yeah. But, um, can you remember back in '96, which um, your first time at the Olympics uh, over in Atlanta and, and meddling? What are, What are your memories from from that time back when, of course, Newcastle were uh, spending world record amounts on Alan Shearer? I tell you what, if you can see, if you can see the video, I got the medal he had from uh, there. Oh my goodness! So that's that's the gold medal from Atlanta. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. So, see, see we had Joseph, we had Joseph Craig on who won gold in 2012 in one of our yeah. really early shows, and he can't find his gold medal, and I was I was so disappointed. <laughs> but there, you bang straight away. Here are me medals. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's a bit of an antique now, like I think, 20, <laughs> 25 years ago. But, uh, yeah, I think for me, I was so young in Atlanta. It's all a little bit of a blur. I mean, I was one of the youngest members of the team. I'd never been away without my parents before. So to go all the way to America, I was just like, I was loving being away on my own. Um, and yeah, I think uh, the important thing for me was I had a lot of people around me to help me to to keep my feet on the floor because when you go to Paralympics, there's a lot going on that you can get distracted by. Um, and yeah, I didn't compete to the very last day of the Paralympics, so I had a long time to wait to make my debut. Um, and actually, the day, the night I competed, my competition got delayed by four hours because of a hurricane. So, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty good way to start your Paralympic career. But, yeah, I wasn't really expecting anything. I just went into enjoy it um 
And then I came back with a gold medal, which is uh, incredible. Always save the best till last. That's what I always get told anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, Stephen, obviously, you've been to Atlanta, you've been to Sydney, you've been to Athens. But 2012, to be captain of Team GB for the Paralympic team, the men's captain. I know 2012 didn't go the way you wanted it to go in terms of competing because you had to kind of go through the pain barrier to even compete and to even compete yeah. at a good standard, Stephen. is an absolute yeah. credit to you. But to get the honour of being the men's captain, that must fill you with an immense pleasure. Yeah, I've got the, I've got the best behind me. As you can see, there's the yeah. best on the wall. So, yeah, I think London was, yeah, very bittersweet for me. Uh, like, yeah, you don't have to be the team captain um, and to compete at the home Paralympics is, um, yeah, something I never forget. Um, to just be part of those games, I think it's going to take a lot to, to top what we did in London. Um, yeah, I think to be part of that is something special. Um, yeah, for me personally, it didn't really work out the way I wanted it to. I, I just kind of had my bad injury at the wrong time, but uh, that can happen in sport. And yeah, and yeah, I don't I look back and don't regret anything. You know, I, I worked hard to get to the games. I think I deserved to be in the team. I competed well up to that point. I, I actually won the European title that year, so I had a pretty decent year. I think my body just my body just gave up on me at the wrong point. But yeah, when you're competing in sport, that can happen. You say you've not got any regrets, and obviously, it, 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 it's it's one of these things, as you say, in sport, injuries happen, but. Would you would you swap your three golds for a London twenty twelve gold or or are you are you more than happy with your, uh, your your medal collection as it is? Yeah, it's a good question. I think no. I think no. I wouldn't swap anything because I think to win three gold medals on the bounce, uh, not yeah. many people can do that. You know, in the same event to dominate. To dominate one event for a decade is, yeah, pretty incredible. And yeah, I'm still, I'm over 40 now and still competitive. So yeah, but yeah, I, I wouldn't swap any of the medals that I won. Good, good, good answer. I, I, that's <laughs> what I like. But from, from this, from the start, because you've been to so many. Um, Paralympic Games, you must have seen a, a massive growth in the event over time because it's massive now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Paralympic sport is, um, yeah, it's huge. It's, um, it's professional, it's world class. I mean, you know, when I started in Atlanta, we didn't get any funding. Um, it was very much um, you know, like amateur sport, I mean, it was still pretty high standard, but yeah, were, there wasn't any professional Paralympic athletes back then. And then now I would say pretty much 
every athlete that competes in Paralympics is a professional athlete. And you can see that with the standard in the performances that are going up. And yeah, look at my my event, the Club Pro. Um, so years ago, if you, if you could pull a 30 meters, you'd be guaranteed a medal. And now, I think last year, the top, you had it for 30 meters to get in the top 10 oh, wow. in the world. So that's how much that's how much it's going up. So, what do you talk about the standards there? And obviously, if you said 30 meters, you might not even get a medal now. Where do you think it will go in the next 10 years, Stephen? Do you think it, you might have to get to 35, 36 metres, 40 metres just to even get a medal in, say, 10 years' time? What, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the nature of sport. Um, that's the nature of um, yeah, human evolution, you know, always progressing, always getting better, finding ways to train, to train harder, to train longer. Um, and that's what you see, that's why in athletics, not many world records last for more than 10 years because, because of that natural progression. Um, and that's really good. It's good to see that that's happening in Paralympic sport now. I mean, Paralympic sport compared to Olympic sport is fairly, fairly new. If you think about Olympic sport, it's been around for hundreds of years. Whereas Paralympic sport, you're looking at maybe 50, 40 years. It, it's been, people have been tra training properly. So, yeah, I think you're going to see even more progression. And, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few Paralympic cycles, it would take mid mid to late thirties to get on on the podium. But I I'll probably be retired by then, hopefully. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You you you, 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 you can take all your medals. That they're fine. You don't have to worry. Um, what out of out of all the medals you've won, Stephen, world titles, Olympic titles, Europeans, what was that one that really stands out for you and? Thought I was at the peak of my powers. Yeah, that year I'm gonna pick a medal where I didn't win a gold. So I was when I competed in Beijing um, in 2008. So we we had a great competition, um, really good standard. Uh, back then, it's actually two different classifications combined together on a point table. So. And made it even harder to win a medal. But uh, in Beijing, um, I was down in fourth place. And on my last throw, I uh, pulled out probably one of the best throws in my career to go up to second. So for me, that's a, a moment that I'm incredibly proud of. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, it's the best, it's the furthest I've ever thrown in a major championship and to do it in that position, in that moment, uh, is something that 
Yeah, that's why you pull the wig and that's why you train uh, when you do so that you can perform um, when you need to. When you, as an athlete, you don't get more satisfaction than that. I can imagine. I can, well, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you're a real prime <laughs> athlete, Johnny, aren't you? <laughs> uh, 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 with me and you, Sam, I feel like I'm probably a slightly more prime athlete. Only in Mars. And things, but I'll tell I you. don't know. Dart players are classed as athletes nowadays. <laughs> uh, Stephen, 2016 was a huge year for you, competing in another Olympics, getting the bronze medal. And I, I, I want you to confirm a story for me, Stephen, if you can. Did Sir John Hall, always the foot, one of the big, big names of Newcastle United, did he donate a, an amount of money to make sure that your mum could actually watch you at the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, Sir John. Yeah, he kind of, he kind of helped us out and help make sure that my mum, who was also my coach, um, could go to the games and support me at the games. So, yeah, it was really generous of Sir John and yeah I've known Sir John for a lot of years and he's always been a big supporter of mine um, and again he's a really, really nice down to earth guy and I, I just seen him a couple of weeks ago I think because I, I was out for a meal uh, for my birthday and uh, he, was, he was in the same restaurant having a meal and he came over to speak and uh, yeah, it looked really well. It looked really well. It's fantastic news, isn't it, Sam? How, how, how we'd love an owner in, in that, like nowadays, like Sir John Hall, who, who had that yeah. ambition and drive to really make Newcastle United compete. He, he's a um, real great character, isn't he, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, he, it was a different era, wasn't it? And I think it's yeah. sad that we're not, you're not going to get that kind of owner again because, you know, Sir John didn't really have, like, like he was he's a wealthy guy, but like, he, he didn't have that much money. But, he, yeah, the way, the way he harnessed what he had and, and, and the way he built the castle up, um, yeah, it was incredible, and uh, it's just yeah, those days in football are probably gone, which is really sad. Yeah, hundred percent. Go on, Sam. Uh, no, it's it's just incredible that um, it, you must have to kind of pinch yourself sometimes, Stephen. That sort of for, as if your own phrase there, like for, just for throwing a club, you you get to know people like Kevin Keegan, Sir John Hall, and. So massive Newcastle United legends. I mean, for for a boyhood Newcastle fan, that's that's living the dream in more ways than one. Yeah, it's crazy. You keep thinking like, why would why did Sir John Hall want to come and talk to me? Like, I'm just I'm just some skinny ginger kid from Cromington, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it is incredible, and yeah, I always. I always remember how lucky I am to have had the opportunities that I've had and have the support I've had. And I never forget that, you know, you've always got to remember who you are and where you come from. Rightly so, rightly so. And also in 2016, Stephen, an MBE 
an NBE from a lot from a lad from Cramlington. <laughs> what, what is that experience like? Is it is it tough to pick people to go and well basically be with you for the day, or how what, what happens to someone that gets an NBE nowadays? <laughs> so I think I found out quite a long time before it was like the year the just before and Christmas I got a little letter in the post and you know I thought it was a, I thought it was a wind up because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it just came out of the blue you just got a letter in the post saying well you've been nominated for an MB and you, you've been accepted and so and then um, yeah, it obviously gets announced on New Year's Eve, on New Year's Day, in the honors list. So things went a bit crazy for a few days after that. And um, yeah, but then when I came around to get the award, it was such a great day. And yeah, it wasn't hard to pick who I wanted to come with me. I uh, kids, I picked my family. Um, and my family are the people who have been there all the time for me. So, yeah, I didn't need to think twice about that. So, to go down to Buckingham Palace, Buckingham, my mom, my brother, and my wife, yeah, it was a great moment in there to get the award of Prince William. Yeah, it was pretty special. So, yeah, it was actually the the first time I'd met Prince William, so it was pretty cool to get the award off him. Did you have much of a conversation with Prince William? Did did he did he ask you for uh, club throwing lessons? No, yeah, he was saying that you yeah, good luck, good luck when you go to Rio, and he told us he told us to wear sun cream because of me. It's not 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 bad for a bit of advice from a, probably the future king of England. But what was more what what gave you more pleasure, Stephen? The MBE or the freedom of Cromington? Because I know you got the freedom of Gateshead as well. <laughs> but obviously the freedom of Crom the freedom of Cromington. What can you do in Cromington and Gateshead now? Can you literally just walk into any shop in Cromington and Gateshead? You don't have to pay for anything. What what do you have to do? What what can you do with with that honour? I'm not sure there's loads of different uh, things that people tell you that you can do. Like, you can graze your sheep on the, on the grass. Or, yeah. I did hear a story once that uh, if you get drunk, the police have to take you home. But uh, I, don't know, I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, you don't do things in life to get awards. It's really nice to get recognised and get awards, but it's not my prime reason for doing things. You know, my my prime reason is to to have fun and to enjoy what I do and try to be successful. That's the main thing. To get awards on the back of that is yeah, it's a bit of a bonus, but yeah. It's, it was, yeah, to get the film with Ed was incredible. Actually, um, Brendan Foster came to the ceremony when I got the film with Ed and he spoke, um, which was really nice. Um, and yeah, the film was coming, and I think 
I was the first ever person to get the freedom of crowding. So <laughs> that was pretty cool. Oh, I can imagine. If only so. Did, did you did you get the ceremonial big key, or is it just nice that you can just go out on the last round Cromlington and know that the coppers have to take you home and can't and, and, and you're pretty bulletproof? Yeah, no, you just get like a little, you get a scroll, like a scroll that you can hang hang up on the wall. And, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so um nice to get these in because yeah the the things that not many people get and um yeah they're quite rare to be given out yeah very rare right let's talk about newcastle united Stephen. obviously you talked about being a massive important part of your life as newcastle united football club you talk about kevin key and i can imagine that's probably one of your first memories of supporting the club but what's been the best match that you've seen you don't have to have been there you just might have seen on the telly you might have been there in person what one match sticks out for you? Oh, uh, well, my first ever game, I think it was about four or five, was Kevin Keegan's testimonial when he, he got picked up in a helicopter. So it's pretty good uh, first game to go to. Um, but I remember being really disappointed after that. The next game I went to, there wasn't a helicopter. <laughs> um, but I think for me the best match I went to was Milan away in the 2 2. As I was in the away end, I was supposed to be in the wheelchair section, but ended up in the away end, just like sitting on the steps in the middle of the way end, and, and the atmosphere was unbelievable. I think. It probably got nine or ten thousand people in the way, and I think I don't know what the capacity was, but I don't think I think it was over over capacity by a long way. But I I don't I do think I saw a lot of the game, but I didn't see the goals. Um, <laughs> every time we scored, you end up about ten meters away from where you were before the goal. Uh, yeah, it was. Such a great game to go to and and to be in the Champions League competing with the likes of Inter Milan in the San Siro was unbelievable. What a performance that night as well! And yeah, if we just if we'd have just held yeah. on at two one, we could have we could have maybe even made it out of that second group stage. But yeah, no, I mean, Lone Robert was on fire that game. They unbelievable. The clothes they put in were crazy. Sam, if I may just put in, I have to ask Stephen a very simple question. Stephen, you haven't seen a Mac in Milan, have you? <laughs> no, I don't really know Mac in Milan. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone ever will. But um, you, you mentioned, obviously, uh, Keegan and Sir John Hall. Did you ever have any meetings or dealings with Sir Bobby? Yeah, yeah, I did. I... I knew Savoggy pretty well as well, and uh, I do. It's quite funny because um, we uh, still see his wife, Elsie, quite a lot. And then um, every time I see her, she comes up and says, Stephen, I see you every day. Because um, me, when um, when Bead World opened in, um, in South Tyneside, um, the Queen came to open it. And, 
Mean Bobby was there, my chico, 40 grand. Me and Bobby in the Queen. And and as he said, it's on the top of their staircase. So every day, see, I see my face every day. So I said, well, I'm very sorry about that. It's <laughs> <laughs> been really hard, but uh, no, again, like Kevin and John, Bobby was a genuine person. Really, would talk to anybody dead down to earth, um, and just loved football. Genuinely loved football, um, and yeah, just to spend time with him was something that I'm very fortunate to do. I actually, I remember I watched a friendly game sitting next to him, and uh, he never stopped talking the whole game. The whole game just talking all about all the players, about the way they were playing, and uh, it was unbelievable, guy. Oh, what a man. Super, absolutely. I think we would love him back in a heartbeat at Newcastle United. But the man in the hot seat right now, Stephen, is Steve Bruce. And obviously, Steve Bruce has been in charge of Newcastle for the last two years, 13th place in his first season. He improved 12th place last season after a tough, tough season, it has to be said, even though the finish was was quite good for the Newcastle standards. Um, what have you made of this season, Stephen? Were you, were you uh, dreading the worst? You know what? I, I, I mean, I, I wasn't... I wasn't inspired when Bruce was appointed, like most people, but I actually think, I actually think he's done a really good job um, in the circumstances. Yeah. I think he probably deserves a little bit more credit than he's been getting. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, we did struggle a little bit in towards the middle, the middle to the end of the season, like around Christmas into spring. But, like, you've got to look at the amount of injuries he had in the COVID, the COVID situation. A lot of players suffered with COVID. Um, and I think you, you saw at the end of the season that when we get our best players fit on the pitch together, we've actually got a decent team. Um, and that's been the big problem, just keeping our best pairs, but uh, if you get Wilson, if you can get Wilson, Maximum, I'll on on the team together, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna cause any team problems. So um so yeah I don't think things are particularly as bad as some fans make out, but that's kind of my mentality on the on the glass half full kind of person I, I try to be positive um, and that's my that's my take on it really I mean we kind of all try and be positive but after that Brighton away game did, did oh, you yeah. not think oh hang on we are we're we're in trouble here yeah I think when when Fulham got within one point I think when Fulham yeah I started to think, yeah, this could be bad, but <laughs> yeah, I think I had football in it. I, I did hope deep down it would have enough. And yeah, I did. when Fulham beat Liverpool away, I was like, oh, God, 
But yeah, Fulham, Fulham just kind of went out of steam after that. And I think that was probably the team, probably the time when Liverpool were at the lowest and everybody was kind of beating Liverpool at that point. <laughs> we, we probably, we got a draw when we should have probably beat them. So, um, but yeah, I think for us, I wouldn't, I would stick with Steve for now. I think he's got the players behind him. I think the players are playing for him, which is the one of the most important things in football. Um, what's going to happen with the ownership? Yeah, we don't know. You can't, you can't control that, unfortunately. You know, we're just fans. And I try to just focus on, on the football and supporting the team the best I can and I think I think we are we should be a comfortable mid-table team with the players of course um, and hopefully hopefully next season we can keep our best players and maybe add a few more and maybe creep into the top 10 that's what I would be hoping and so I'd be holding for, but uh, probably we'll, we'll probably end up fighting relegation again, knowing Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. One person that a lot of Newcastle fans want to see in a Newcastle shirt next season is Joe Willock. And do you think Stephen will get to see Joe Willock in a Newcastle shirt next season? Nah, no. No. Hang on, you were glass half full five minutes ago. <laughs> I know, I know, but I'm also realistic. And, uh, <laughs> and, unless we get another loan deal, um, unless we get another loan deal, I, I don't think we're going to buy Joe Willis. He just signed a six-year six deal at Arsenal. So to buy him... It's gonna cost a lot of money that I don't think we probably. I'm, you're probably talking 40, 50 million to get a player like Joe Willock. I, I would think his English player 21, 22. He scored how many goals in how many? Is it seven goals in? Yeah, two? seven in a row. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're not gonna get a player like that on the cheap. So. I think it's very unrealistic that uh, I'd love to see it because uh, obviously it was a revelation at the end of the season. Um, you never know. Um, depends with Arsenal as well, whether they think he's going to fit in to their system. Um, they might want to give him one more year out and own. Hopefully that's the case. Um, yeah, it is had a way and see. Uh, just to pick up on something you said earlier, which which I thought was absolutely spot on when you just touched on the ownership. Um, you said that you were just kind of taking, not really taking any notice and just supporting the team and focusing what's happening on the pitch, um, which I think is 100% the right thing to do because after the past 12 months, when we, well, 12 months ago, when we were all dragged through the whole rigmarole of hashtag cans and, you know, I I, I, I was I, I would have had to have messaged you to see if I could borrow the freedom of Gateshead so I could <laughs> not get into trouble with the police for, for drunken loutishness. 
But do you, do you think there's any hope for this takeover or is it just a case now of just completely switch off from it? It's not going to happen until the day comes that it's been officially announced. Yeah, I mean, it's all, I don't know. I'm not... Yeah, I, I just really don't know. I think it's... I've never been one to, to get too concerned about about takeovers and ownership because really deep down I don't think any owner will be that much different because they're all multi-billionaires now they're all big they're all massive companies really they are gonna anyone who owns a football club has to be multi-billion pound like if you look at Man City it's basically a country that owns the club, Qatar, owns Man City, and the same with PSG. Um, so, yeah, you're competing against countries. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, the days of like John Hall and like local guys running that club, it's gone. And that's taken away a lot of romance for me, which is why. I try not to think too much about it. And, and in a way, yeah, if we got taken over, there might be a cash injection at the beginning, but if they don't have instant success, is that going to continue? And are they going to be that bothered about the group that are fighting relegation or go down? Like, if you look at what's happening in Sunderland, you know, that's the kind of thing that can happen. So for all that Mike actually done wrong, I think what you can say is when we have gone down, he hasn't given up on He's got all back up. Now, he hasn't got the ambition to get any higher up, which is sad, but that's where we are at the minute. Um, so that's, that's really my concern about ownership and take all that. Um, if it happens, then yeah, it would be great, but you know, money doesn't guarantee your success. Either. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. That's completely true. I completely agree with everything you said there, Stephen. Because obviously, you, you obviously could potentially get the good side of any takeover and the bad side of any takeover. So it's definitely one you've got to look at with a bit of caution as well, but with maybe a little bit of optimism. Maybe maybe if, you, if you're a glass yeah. half full kind of person, like you said before, Stephen. Yeah, so yeah. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. Yeah, I think um, yeah, it would be great to, to be. I think Nikazo is the kind of club that took me challenging. At least for the top six. If we look at the fire base and, and the passion for football in the area, then yes, Nikazo probably should be looking higher up, but there's probably a lot of other clubs that would say the same, like the likes of Leeds, um, maybe even like, you know, like I read in like, like these kind of clubs who have big supporter bases. So, but I guess everyone looks at Man City and thinks, well, if they did it, we can do it. But it took Man City quite a long time to get to where they are now. So it's 
Yeah, I think a takeover would be great because in the present situation, we can't dream any higher than where we are now, really. And that's what the fans want. They just want that hope that isn't there at the minute. And so that, that's what would be the best thing. Yes, spot on. We're not we're not asking to go back to Milan right away, but you know, <laughs> m- m- maybe one one day it'd be nice to go back, wouldn't it? Let's face it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did have that one season under under Pardew that was uh, pretty oh. cool. But... Even that, when you think about it, that that's nearly like ten years ago now. Like I yeah. saw, I saw on Twitter today that it was ten years to the day that Johan Kabai signed. For Newcastle, what a That's player good. he was! That was ten years ago. Well, if you think about that team, they had Jorn Kupai, Ben Hadam Ben Arthur, and you had Dembélé, Pavić, and yeah, these are the kind of players you want to see in the Cadillac. And we're getting there a little bit with them, at maximum. You know that these are the kind of players that we want to see. And you can't do that. So hopefully, if we can keep hold of some maximum, that might help us to attract some more players with that kind of ilk. 100%. Well, well, let's just hope that next season we can all go to St. James's Park. You can show off your gold medals, Stephen. Um, after, you'd, after you've done exceptionally well at Tokyo. Yeah, do you do, do you do that when you go into a game? Instead of buying a ticket, you just roll up and just go, <coughs> just flash the goal, and they go, yeah, come uh, right in. Uh, I did go, I have been invited into the German suite a couple of times, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Right? You get a uh, sit-down meal before the match. You get, like, uh, like cheese and crackers at half time, uh, Sweet ball, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, you haven't got a couple of you don't need a couple of managers, do you, Stephen, for the next home game? A couple of plus ones, yeah. You only tend to get invited if we win a medal in the Paralympics, so I'd have to, I'd have to try and win a medal in Tokyo. And then uh, you can do that, you can do that, yeah. No bother, no bother, <laughs> Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you for the last 45 minutes, nearly an hour of your time, talking all things, yeah, gold cool. medals and Newcastle United. I think it's the perfect combination. Um, <laughs> Sam, Sam, where can people get this podcast from? So the podcast is available for download every Tuesday. And then if you're watching this on YouTube, all the previous episodes are in the description below. So please um, subscribe and rate the podcast five stars. Stephen, we'd like to wish you all the very best in Tokyo. And please come back with a medal. And if you can show us, that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been good. Well, for myself, Sam Mulner and Stephen Miller, MBE, we'll see you all very, very soon. <laughs>